Welcome back to the channel, everyone. I'm joined today by Stefan. I got to know Stefan through the comment section, actually. There's actually people that watch these videos, which is uh, very encouraging. He had a lot of insightful and interesting comments on the last video I did with my brother. And um, I contacted him to see if he wanted to talk, and he did, which is uh, amazing. One of the many perks of the internet, I guess. And Stefan attended the Mannheim Festival, was it last week? Yeah, last week, Friday to Sunday, right. And so uh, exactly one week ago, I got back home. That's awesome. I am very excited to hear about your experience there. And before we do that, I actually just want to get to know a bit uh, more about you. Uh, yeah, sure. Your story, what you want to tell, you can tell. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a start for that. Well, thank you for having <laughs> me. And uh, thanks for reaching out to me so quickly. And indeed, it's been wonderful that, you know, the internet, uh, it goes a long way. Uh, back then, um, it used to be like writing letters and by now it's just an email or looking up a profile on LinkedIn and seeing, okay, yeah, there's a professional mail and I just check that. And then five minutes later, uh, I, I found your mail in the inbox and <laughs> that's how quick that that goes. Yeah. Um, and I think it's absolutely fantastic that you, you're so engaged with your uh, videos and with your comment section as well. Um, and who who would have thought here I am? Um, so maybe just for for a bit of background, um, I've been part of uh, this little corner, or the Bridges of Meaning Discord for I think about two and a half three years now. Um, I've been a Christian from my from my upbringing onwards, and I, I have not gone through a deconstruction or reconstruction in that sense, though I have had some significant changes in the outlook of my faith in a sense that um, I started as a, one could say, charismatic evangelical from childhood to youth to early adulthood. Um, my parents were part of um, youth mission in uh, Europe, in Germany and the Netherlands um, back in the early 80s until the 90s. So um, there's a lot of background that I received from that. And um, then in my early adulthood, I actually got baptized with the Baptists, a very charismatic Baptist community in my area. And uh, then I got married in the Protestant State Church and uh, have been a member ever since of it and have really enjoyed the liturgy of that. But at one point, it really drew me closer to asking questions uh, looking at the sources of, of Christianity at the uh, at the patristics, uh, at the church fathers, at history. And um, yeah, from that onwards, actually, I've had a few, one could say, numinous relationships with God and experiences that drove me closer to the Catholic Church. And by now I'm visiting regularly the Mass, participating in Eucharist, praying the Rosary. Uh, and I would not have thought that I would get there at this point. So uh, I'm 40 that as a background information i'm married i have three wonderful children and uh, we live in the palatinate area of, of germany southwest germany wine growing area and um, i have a south african father and a german mother um, i have a twin sister and a younger sister and uh, i've also lived in the netherlands and in south africa so wow. that's, that's just a bit of background. <laughs> and uh, professionally, I'm a, I'm a federal officer at the Federal Office for Migration and Refugees in Germany, um, responsible for, for asylum casework. 
and yeah uh in my part time in my uh, free time i i read a lot of stuff that floats around this little corner and um as you can see from the back of my library i'm a total freak for goethe oh so, that's exciting as like five or six biographies of goethe and all stuff related to him oh wow yeah that's just in short uh who i am okay amazing you can ask anything you want <laughs> well i i'm very interested in the goethe part for sure but i think I, i'm gonna leave that for a bit later on uh you lived in the netherlands as well where did you where did you live in zutemir Zut oh that's very close it's right behind me i live in um in the hague so it's like a tram cool. stop away yeah. it's where i, I mean, got i lived there, I lived there when i was a young kid or like four to six seven ish okay uh or let's say three i think it was two yeah it was i think almost three to four years there yeah i went to montessori kindergarten there and oh, okay yeah yeah before being schooled in we actually moved back to germany and uh then i stopped <laughs> speaking in dutch and in english i only wanted to continue in in german which my uh father was very disappointed of <laughs> that's how things go did you learn uh, afrikaans as well yeah for one or two school years because um in south africa if you want to do the german abitur at the german school there you first have to go through the matricle mm -hmm. which is like the south african equivalent of 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 uh, graduation And that's in grade 12. And uh, so we had like from grade seven onwards, we had beginning Afrikaans lessons because then, you know, the exams would have been in German, English and in Afrikaans. But mm. before that happened, um, my family split up and uh, my mother and uh, we siblings moved back to Germany. Mm. And my dad stayed in South Africa. So, okay. I never had to go through that terrible experience of, of having to speak <laughs> Afrikaans because truth be told, it sounds like you take the Dutch and just butcher it with the axe. Yes. All yes, the, exactly. All the softness is lost. Mm -hmm. it's, like a German, it's like Germanizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I and feel that. TK and S, a very sharp language. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm I'm very interested by this by this part of your story where you keep... I don't know, like evolving your um, your face, let's say, it keeps changing in a sense. And and more interestingly, I think that I find it fascinating that you didn't deconstruct or reconstruct from your face at a young age because it seems so normal to do. I mean, in the Netherlands, it's normal. I don't know how it is in, in Germany, but I feel that it might be similar. What do you think made it that you didn't um, go away from from your face? Well, I think for one thing, it's uh, it's been like for decades already a fact in Germany that um, Germans are generally nominalistically Christian, but they're not really deep faith Christian. I see. So, and that wasn't the case like 20 years ago either, or like 30 years ago. Um, my parents, they in the early 80s married and they were part of German and, and European youth ministry and they were deemed to be outright weirdos like mission missionary work in uh like the center of a german town yeah and talking about jesus and the bible and people <laughs> scoffed at them and said wow this is like Hare krishna style really yeah stuff. like what are you about esoteric stuff so nobody nobody cares about that in germany i mean everyone goes to church on, on easter and on and on on christmas and so it's still part of of the culture but um it's 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 been a rare experience 
um, meeting people that actually said, yeah, I'm serious about that. Mm. Yeah. I think there's something to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit and to the stories of the Bible. And that's not just some, you know, myth or, or history or culture, but actually it's really down to, down to earth. And uh, I live in that reality. So in a sense, I grew up as being like this part of a somewhat sidelined weirdo <laughs> subculture. <laughs> and so in a sense, it's 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 never been mainstream. And maybe that's the reason that I never fell out of it, because it's like, okay, where do you fall into? Yeah. Like, okay, you fall into basically nobody believes it, but still fake it till you make it. I don't know how that's yeah, yeah. supposed to work out. And then you 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 switched. You switched denominations in a sense. You got baptized. Yeah, I mean, my parents were, and in part, my mother is still very uh, centered in the evangelical movements. My mother is is a Pentecostal mm -hmm. church going, and um, I've I've dealt with the questions myself with charisms, and I'm a kind of what you could say semi cessationist. So I believe that some charisms still exist, but not not necessarily all of them. Mm -hmm. And even if you can apply them, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a loss if you don't. Which is what I think of of uh, speaking in tongues, mm. for example. Yeah. Um, but I've been part of a community myself where it was absolutely normal in youth church to have people do that and roll on the floor and that kind of stuff. So, I've I've been I've been I, I've been living in these for my, for most Christians very fringe. Yeah, yeah. Of Christianity. I hear you. But um I had this one fallout moment in in uh, our youth church where it was about like do we want to do the the uh the Lord's supper? And everyone was like, yeah, sure, how we do we do that? And it was like, ah, we have some snacks, we have cookies and we have, you know, drinks and maybe we can do it with that. And I was like, ah, if that's really what we can do, then it means actually nothing. Mm -hmm. So what what's the what's the deal with this? Yeah. Uh, and then you look into the history of of, of uh, the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper and um, look at the history of my own church in, in the area I live in, which is re really interesting because it's basically a unionized church of Lutheran and Zwinglian Protestant churches that, you know, got together and said, we, we're going to make this one church. Mm -hmm. um, but all the Lutheran stuff has been, you know, kicked out. Yeah. So it's a purely Zwinglian interpretation of just this kind of, of course, it's a symbolic act but nothing more than that it's just a remembrance meal mm. and then you and then i started to wonder um has it always been that way and then you look at luther himself and i mean he was really really compared to today's standards he was really close to catholic church um and his teachings about transubstantiation consubstantiation is you know rather minute detail one could say it's like on an ontological level it's maybe a difference but not much of a difference whereas Zwingli like killed the whole thing and said let's get let's get rid of any ontology it's just I see. um and so I, I I thought well that's interesting let's look a bit further back and you find the Didache and and the, the church fathers and what they say of the Eucharist and it's like wow they are they were really serious about this mm. so what's about these 
2000 years of church history that I haven't experienced yet. And then you look at some chapters like John 6 and you stumble upon it and say, well, Jesus actually doubles down on saying, yeah, this is my body. This is my blood. Yeah. And in exactly similar parts, saying something about something differently, he really actually backs down and says, no, 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 I meant it this way. Mm. But there he says, no, no, you really understand me that I ex meant it exactly that way. And that's like, okay, this is serious. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's kind of the propositional intellectual uh, uh, endeavor I've I've taken with with this special uh, thing that's called Eucharist. But apart from that, I've had really strange experiences like visions and dreams. Okay, tell me more. Like I had this one dream where I was just walking on a field road, and suddenly this rather big cat came running across the street and it turns out that it wasn't a cat but it was actually a lamb mm. and that lamb wasn't white but it was blood red mm. and it just looked at me and said i'm calling you into the union of the church wow and that's when i woke up and i was like holy cow what was that and then i mean the symbolism of that is like obvious <laughs> yeah like really really obvious mm -hmm. And then I, I had a different dream as well that I was I was walking with my wife through an old city, German city, and we just looked at the old buildings and we went to a church and there was a woman explaining the Eucharist. And I, I said to my wife, oh, well, that's basically just the same. We do it at our church, which when I woke up, I realized implied that I was Catholic in that dream. Mm. That was really interesting as well. So, uh, and then I had a third dream uh, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 17 years now. And I dreamt that I went to the altar with her to uh, to the marriage proceedings. And her grandfather was the bishop <laughs> that was doing the ceremony. And he was yeah. actually holding two of these bishop staffs in his hands and had this bishop hat uh, on. And so when you when you have that intellectual uh, journey and then you have those dreams, you really start to think that maybe God is calling you to something. Yeah. And at one point, I just had to try it out. And that was actually this year. Um, in January, Matthias from the German language chat, um, you know, kicked a few of us and said, you know, why don't we participate together in this Catholic program called Exodus 90, mm. which is a program of fasting and prayer and uh, companionship um, with weekly meetings. And you have an anchor brother that, you know, gets in contact with you and you talk things through. And that's 90 days. That's like extended Lent. And it includes also like cold showers. Nice. <laughs> which was like, and, and I, I read, I read um, this one book. I, I don't, that's a, that's a Dutchman as well. Uh, the Iceman. Uh, yeah, he, Wim Hof. Yeah, right. The Wim Hof method. So mm -hmm. I've, I've read that and I've seen the, the podcast by Michaela and John Peterson with them. Yeah. I was very, very interested in that stuff already. So I thought, oh, wow, this is interesting. Like a, a rather secular method that's based on science mm -hmm. combined with like old traditional fasting and prayer, Catholic prayer stuff. 
um, and daily readings and reflections and was like, hmm, maybe it really is time for me to do that. Yeah. Especially since uh, those Exodus 90 programs, uh, they, in Lent, they work through the book of Exodus. Hmm. And I turned 40 this year. Yeah. So the 40 was in that as well. And it mm -hmm. was like, okay, that's like a lot of... It's it's lining mm. up too well. It it lines up perfectly. So, <laughs> and there, I mean, we had like every month we had mass together mm. as brotherhood. And <clears throat> I've always felt drawn to the Eucharist because I always felt that 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 is something that it means something, although I can't explain really what it is. But I've always felt it to be very, very important to participate in it, even in, in state church. And when I went to, to the Mass and I participated in the Eucharist for, for the first time, I was up in tears because it really hit me. And it's been doing that ever since. I, I have this game with, <laughs> let's say, I have this, it's kind of a funny relationship I have with Christ. I, I always say, you know, this time you won't get me. <laughs> and so I go up to Mass, I receive the host, I walk back to the pew and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe he doesn't get me this time. And by the time I kneel at the pew, I'm always up in tears again mm. because it's, it's such a phenomenal experience. And it feels like God is the healer that is like peeling a thorn out of your flesh every time. Yeah. And the moment he pulls it out, it really hurts. But then there's this moment of relief. It's like, ah, ah. that's beautiful. I so love that's that description. how I've been feeling ever since. And so for me, I I have only this personal qualia, this personal uh, phenomenology, phenomenology that I can relate to. And that experience I have is that when I participate in the Eucharist, if nothing holds, and if I don't ever meet God, and if I don't find I can pray, there's this one moment where that all comes together, and that's the Eucharist. Well, that's like for me where heaven and and earth meet, and yeah. you realize this is really the thing where God is present, mm. and that's been really a, a healing and redemptive experience for me. And so I come from this very charismatic background, and I mean, obviously, if people can speak in tongues, why cannot the Eucharist be exactly what the Catholic Church and the mm. Orthodox say that it is. So yeah, that's that's been my journey, and um, it's it's really exciting because I'm still I'm still very in the beginning of being or, or acting Catholic. But then again, if you look at at some commenters, it's like okay, you already are Catholic by what you seem to be believing and doing. It's yeah. you know, not a question of you know actually. <laughs> converting any longer mm -hmm. um, and the good thing for me is that i've i i look back with a lot of of uh, uh grace and 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 faithfulness and thankfulness to to my own past to my own history and i see that i've gone through you know several stages and i've always felt that i'm not really at home it's like, okay, I am in that building that C.S. Lewis describes, and I look into that one room, and I'm in that room for a few years, and then I say, ah, it doesn't really... Yeah, switch rooms. Know. Yeah, and um, 
the the moment that I first participated in the Eucharist was like God saying to me, "Welcome home." Wow. And it's like <laughs> that's intense. That's intense. Oh wow, that's really that's a really beautiful explanation. I think I don't hear this a lot that it's so based in the in the Eucharist or even the experience because the people you speak to in this corner are often intellectually persuaded toward yeah. uh, Christianity and sometimes they don't even come from it or they at least like became more secular or whatever the story may be. And this seems to be really a wrestling with uh, with God, but within his uh, his home, let's say. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've wrestled several times with God at really, really tough ways. Yeah. But so the one thing was the fallout in 1998 where my dad um, professed to, to us as family that he was openly gay. Mm-hmm. And... I love my father and we have a wonderful relationship right now, but um, we had very rough times. Yeah. And both of us changed significantly since then. And um, I've done a lot of uh, reconciliation myself mm. um, working through that. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally at peace with, with my relationship with my past. Um, I hold no grudges against my father or my mother for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense it's kind of yeah you when you really grow up and it took me a long time to really grow up it's like just three or four years ago that it feels that i grew up <laughs> um but that we could talk about that because that's when jordan peterson comes into okay life. let's do that yeah <laughs> um yeah but that was really that was a really tough time and mm-hmm. i mean back then i was like 15 16 years old totally charismatic christian full into it and then something like that hits you and yeah. it really hits you hard Hmm. especially since if you're like you're a teenager it's like oh you're getting interested in you know having a girlfriend and then mm-hmm. you have that it's not just a, an issue of faith it's an issue of of, of gender identity basically hmm. um, and orientation but strangely enough and i have to say that's grace it's not what something i did it's total grace that god gave me the endurance back then and the faith to say whatever life is throwing at me here it has nothing to do with god yeah and all of, and all to do with with the people on earth mm. and it's not up to me to be judgment, judgmental about that so that was that was very helpful mm. uh, and then um my wife and i we had uh we were expecting our first child and it turns out that she had a uh, terminal disease uh, and if you know any greek uh, and you see a, an illness that has thanatos in its name mm. you know you're in for trouble yeah and uh we had that and uh so we gave our first daughter the name leah and if you look back that's where we you know come back into the name thing that we had at the beginning um if you look at the name leah where it comes from what it means um, it's the it's it's basically translated as the one who has suffered in vain. Wow, which is really hard to grapple if you have that experience. Yeah, and we only realized that in hindsight. Wow, but back then, we immediately knew that God was not you know closing our hearts, but actually making our hearts wider through that experience for really knowing we're serious. We really want to have kids. Yeah, um, and so we had our first son 
and that's very interesting because the two names of the two kids that came after are stillborn. I received that in a dream or vision. I don't recall exactly, but it was like, you know, Stefan, your first son will be called Mattis and your daughter will be Liv. Mm. And after that, you have you will have as many children as you want. And I was like, okay. And I said to my wife, yeah, we have those names ready. Yeah, yeah, we have those names. And so we knew the next child would be a son and it was. And so we named him Mattis and Mattis is from Matthias. And that again is from the Hebrew and it means a gift from God. So after Leah, we had a gift from God, which was phenomenal. <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. And then Liv. Liv is Northern Scandinavian and it basically means um, keeper of the household. Uh, and she does keep things together. <laughs> she, she's a very strong-minded girl, uh, for sure. Yeah, so uh, that was the second time that I could have been in a very, very tough place when it comes to faith in general. But that has been the second. And then then I had a, a similar experience later on as well. I have the moments where I experienced God the closest and the most intense were the moments where I was at my lowest in my life and when i was outside the hospital with our stillborn i had this physical experience of a huge warm hand grabbing and saying i'm so sorry this happened and that was insane and it was also that god said you know what there are only very few people that can relate to the aspect of god losing a child and now you're one of them. So whenever I have had these really tough moments, it was where God really showed himself to be who he is. And he also directly afterwards said, you know what? You'll have to walk by yourself on your own and you won't feel it every time. It's a very rare experience. Don't expect it to happen anytime soon again. But when you need it, I'll be there. And that's so that's been carrying my faith all the 40 years that I've been on this planet. And I'm I I, I absolutely know that I have absolutely no partaking in it. It's it's all grace. <laughs> wow. Thank you so couldn't much have, for couldn't have done it on my own. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> that's that I think that's the strongest form of faith. For me, what you say that it comes to you in the deepest moments, uh, the dark the let's say the the the, the darkest. The darkest times of your life, I think a lot of people experience it the same way. I experience it the same way. Um, yeah, I'm 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 kind of speechless by the story. I think it's I think it's a very real story, and I think you're that that pain is so real. I think Peterson often says, like, what is more real than pain? But yeah. I think that that yeah. that grace that you get that might be even more primal. It might be even more transcendental. Maybe something even more real than pain, which is the love that is always there when pain is there as well. Exactly. I feel that. And so I've I've really resonated with a lot of what Peterson said, and he mm. kicked my ass, to say it lightly. Mm. Because um, even though I've gone through the school of life already, I was at a point where I was really, I was suffering from health-related anxiety issues had a really stressful time at my work which i mean obviously being part of migration and refugees in europe 
the last 10 years yeah it has not been a simple task i see let's let's say that um but i was at this point was really really sulky and was like god why is this happening to me and why am i feeling so bad and when will good times come again and he was like trying to remind me you know you've gone through really bad times already and i've been there so what's up with that and turns out that i've i've become i had become a kind of uh retreated nominal christian myself and I had to relinquish and replenish the, the faith of my childhood and get back into a really more personal relationship with, with God and with his word again. And so back then, um, out of you know, mere frustration, because I've had grown kind of speechless in my, in my prayer, uh, there comes a point uh, being an, an evangelical or charismatic Christian when it's like, okay, well, you have to put yourself into this position and then you have to have this em these emotions and that stands towards Jesus and you have to fall in love every time again and unless you do that, you don't have a really honest and open prayer with the God you love and then you really won't pray the way you should and then you become kind of speechless because it's so perfectionistic and and individual individualistic and you're thrown just back to yourself. It's like, who can tell me whether this is the right prayer? No one can. And that is the risk I see now that actually it lies in the Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide. It's like, in the end, it's all about this one person looking at the Bible and acting out the faith, whether that faith is going to matter or not. And that was so frustrating that I actually stopped praying at one point. And... So then I realized I have to get back into my prayer life and I didn't know how. So in this kind of traumatic frustration, I just picked up a rosary and said, okay, I'm just going to fake it. I'm just going to do it like they do it. I don't care whether that's real or not. I'm just going to, you know, see the, the Lord's prayer and, and uh, the creed and okay, let's, let's, let's do the Mary stuff as well. And strangely enough, things started to happen in my life and in the life of my wife as well. And we were like, okay, maybe something's to that. Let's look a bit further. So I, I read the book, um, Mary and Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, mm -hmm. um, which is really, a, it's, it's a, a biblical history of Mary being the second covenant and um, being uh, the queen of the heavens and all those symbolisms that are in the Bible there. It was a really fascinating. So then I had a lot of, so I, before that I had my reservations and after that it was like, yeah, it doesn't sound too bad. Actually, it sounds pretty based, especially if you, if you have like 300 pages, just jam packed with biblical quotes. It's like that for an, for an Protestant Christians, like check. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They've done their Bible. <laughs> fine. I'm fine with that. Good. <laughs> yeah and um so then while i was doing that i was looking into the church fathers and i saw some videos by ryan reeves of a gordon conwell seminary and he does a fantastic job at like i think it's 30 somewhat episodes going through church history and you know the 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 roman history the greek history and then uh antiquity and um, all the church fathers until today and the YouTube algorithm just threw up a video by Bishop Barron, 
I was mm. like, oh, that's interesting. Let's look at Bishop Byrne. And I listened to him a bit, and suddenly he starts talking about this obscure Canadian psychologist. And I was like, why in all the world would a Catholic bishop talk about a Canadian psychologist? That's really um, creating interest. Like something on my Zaliancy landscape. (laughs) So I picked up uh, Jordan's book, 12 Rules for Life, and just read it in one go. And that was like, it was a moment that was like, God took me by the shoulders, grabbed me, you know, and hit me and said, you know what, grow up. <laughs> and I was like, I was like insulted. I was like, um, I'm 37. Yeah. Would you want me to grow up? And he was like, no, I'm serious. You have to grow up, you know, stand up with your shoulders straight, you know, clean up your room, do it. Yeah. Now. And so I started, you know, incorporating that. And I was reading that book when my wife just was pregnant again with our third child. And that was during lockdown, like mm. early, mid-2020s. So I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, and one year later, I think it was exactly one year later, my wife just out of the blue said to me, you know what, back then that book you read, I don't know what it was, but you've changed for the better. <laughs> and I was like, wow okay now i need an explanation for what actually happened there Mm. and that's when i started to look for additional material about jordan peterson i i hadn't looked at any podcasts or videos from him before that i I just read his book and then i look at commentaries about uh jordan peterson and the first one i hit upon was uber boyo I mean, he's he's known uh, as this like Nietzschean, uh, Jungian uh, figure. Yeah. And so I started diving into Nietzsche and into C.G. Jung, and that was very intense at one point. And and it was talking about Ion and the Red Book and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And at that point, my Christian upbringing, you know, came to mm-hmm. the forefront again because it was like my internal heresy alarm went off and said, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, okay, maybe I shouldn't dive into that too deep. Maybe there's a Christian commenter mm-hmm. on Jordan Peterson. And lo and behold, there's a pastor <laughs> from Sacramento, from CSC, uh, and he's actually doing comment videos on Jordan Peterson. And that's when I was hooked. Mm-hmm. So I've never been really hooked to Jordan Peterson, but uh, Paul Vendekle, he got me the first moment I actually listened to him. Wow. That's so interesting. I find it especially funny now that I'm meeting a lot of people that got almost into to Paul Vanderklei. Well, I've never really done the deep dive. I've met Paul. He knows my my brother, my father, and all these things. And I see that there's a deep community there and stuff. But I've always yeah. been in the ideas, so I've been completely disconnected from the from the ground. Let's say, with uh, listening to Jordan, Jonathan, and John mostly. And it's really funny to see this world now now liven up and so you listen to to paul and eventually that also i guess got you to this to this german festival is this the first time you you interact like in in person with the with the corner or actually not i've um pretty early after i i became a member of the discord server yeah um, matthias uh and a few of us got together and said why don't we do a tour in germany do some hiking 
Cool. And it was in my hometown, and I organized that, and uh, we did a tour to the um, to the tower of the Stiftskirche, which is like this medieval church building in the center of my town, and it's actually double. It has a double uh, tower. It has, it's also a double church. It's split in the middle. The one part is Catholic, the other part is Protestant, <laughs> and. Uh, the Protestants actually wanted to tear down the wall and just make a glass wall so you could see both sides. And the, and the Catholics said, no, no, we won't have that. Because actually on the other side, that's the, that's the St. Pius. And they're like, uh, I think, still holding the traditional Latin mass. So it's, that's there's an intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So we went up to that to that tower and we um, uh, we, we stood inside the church bell which is the largest European bell made out of steel. They did that because they didn't want to have the bell stolen during war. <laughs> wow. Because otherwise you would have melted it into like ammunition, but steel. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's intensely heavy and it's huge, but it's like, well, we have the hugest steel bell in Europe. Okay, fine. I think even in the world, whatever. So we took that too. And then we did some hiking. And uh, at the end of the day, we, we went to a Catholic church and attended mass together. And that was a diverse group from Switzerland and Southern Germany and Job from the Netherlands, actually. Oh, he met Job. Well okay. with us. So cool. uh, we uh, uh, caught up on each other there. And I had wonderful uh, conversations with him and others. And then I think one and a half years, maybe two years later, Matthias organized with Cassidy this Landau festival, which is a meaning festival. And Landau is just like 20 minutes drive from my hometown. Um, so I participated in that as well, although not in total, just the one day, because we were in preparations for the baptism of my youngest son, mm -hmm. which took place then on Sunday. And so I've been interacting with them in real life as well. Um cool. And so it's been the second time that I met people like Paul van der Klee and others. And this year was really an, 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 a wonderful and intense and uh, intimate experience being in uh, Mannheim, which was the perfect venue. Yeah. Really, uh, I mean, Dave and Rebecca, they did it. They did a fantastic job in hosting that venue. And Cassidy and Matthias were brilliant in organizing that stuff. I took my little part in it. I was the driver for Paul van der Klee and Andre with the bangs and Thomas Steininger from the hotel to the venue. So I oh. had my daily uh, podcast directly. <laughs> oh, it was it was so amazing. It's like the moment they get into the car and they start talking, it's like, wow, this sounds just like a normal PVK podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's super yeah. cool. Yeah, I was telling people that for me, Paul is the same in real life as he is behind the camera. Yeah, like, he is. He is. It's really like a pastor. That, is, that you know? is to me the the perfect example of uh, authenticity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like you you act out the way you speak, you speak the way you think, and you do that no matter what the audience is. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's like, really beautiful. That's like the highest ideal that you could strive to. Mm. No, I think it's uh, it's extremely inspiring. I tried to act it out in my own life. Because for me, it's like if you're really someone that that loves fully, you know, like like Christ loves, then you would never make a distinction. And um, so I really, I, I love that that type of behavior. Okay, so you 
did you arrive on the on the friday in in germany yeah yeah so you had like a campfire right can you tell me a bit more that yeah we had a campfire and hannes immediately grabbed the guitar and then for hours played the guitar and they sang together at the campfire and i was standing a bit offside because i was talking with teddy and then paul vendeclay arrived and then i was like talking an hour to paul vendeclay and then (laughs) (laughs) let's go Yeah. yeah so um I was there for a few hours, uh, but I left, I think, somewhere between 10 and 10.30-ish, and the rest still had like two hours to go. But yeah, it was a a wonderful uh, opening Mm -hmm. evening there, yeah. And then Saturday, what was the the schedule like? What did you attend? I mean, it began with Paul Vanderglei giving a talk, Mm -hmm. and then um, let me think. I think it was Andrea with the Bangs having her podcast live with um, Paul as well. Yeah, how was that? Because I heard Paul Paul was really happy about that conversation. If it was about the feminine and masculine, yeah, the feminine yeah. and masculine. I was I was fascinated because um, one might expect, even for Paul Vanderclay, that he. Um, he at times is very conscious and cautious about what he's saying in which direction. So he sometimes just opens up the information space and says, there are these positions and that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting to see that he took sides there and he he had a very strong position actually that he argument had argument that he proposed and Uh he argued in favor of, Mm -hmm. um, but he did that in just wonderful spirit. Wow. And so I think he, he was really in his comfort zone there. Good. So it, 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 he did not have any need to, you know, uh, interpret what he said afterwards or comment on it or put it into a different perspective. He was just Paul Mendeclay saying what he thinks <laughs> straight on. Yeah. And that was really wonderful to see. And I think one could hear a few strains in there as well that it's like Jonathan Peugeot, the feminine and the masculine, or Peterson with the feminine and the masculine, chaos and order, that that runs through that as well. And then um, Louise Perry, of course, yep. uh, and, uh, and Mary Herring. Mm. And um, so there's a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of people talking about those issues and... I mean, basically, at the end of the day, um, it's it's the based church position that there's a difference between man and woman, <laughs> and mm-hmm. one can find intellectual arguments for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it it's t- still to this day holds water. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been uh, you know for centuries and and thousands of years, it's been the mode where it seems that human life seems to flourish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even, even if there are exceptions, and of course, not everyone gets everything right at every moment in time, but nonetheless, it seems to have been like, uh, yeah, the most reasonable way to go forward. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch that talk and the other talks because I know that that there was more recorded, but yeah. I haven't seen it uh, appear. So I'm excited to to see it happen. Yeah, and one one can only congratulate to Andrea because she really did a fantastic job in, you know, hosting that a conversation and asking the right questions. 
Good. which is which is uh, something I still have to learn. So <laughs> the learning how to ask the right questions. I love to talk, but I have difficulties asking the right questions. Yeah, that's uh, it's a craft of its own. I feel that maybe that's also, I mean, a lot of what you speak about is you're made for certain things. Maybe you're made to speak. <laughs> maybe you're made to be asked. I'm not sure. But... Uh, could be, could be. Though I do strive actually to put myself... So, so I'm I'm this kind of neurotic extrovert. Uh huh. So that extrovert part always gets me onto the stage. But the moment I'm on stage, I'm thinking to myself, "What the heck am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Can somebody get me back down again?" Oh, and, that's good. So, so it's always this to and fro. And the, what I really want to learn actually is to facilitate conversations where others think that someone is listening to them. Yeah. Because I feel that people aren't listened to the way they should be. Mm -hmm. And I experienced that myself, but I'm really, really bad at listening myself. So I'm trying to learn how can I facilitate those conversations where somebody really has that experience of, okay, wow, he really looked into what I was saying and he really opened space for it. Yeah. And I also think that listening is, um, well, sometimes it feels like listening is the, I don't know the the more the more dreaded part of the conversation but for me it's where I get all the pleasure because mm. that's where all the gems are for me and it's so pleasurable because people have so much to say like when Peterson says that uh you can learn from anyone it's really true and so yeah just deeply listening it's it's one of the most pleasurable experiences that I have in everyday life because it's just so interesting like I find it really really fun so i, I really it really uh, is pleasurable but at the same time it can be a bit of a hassle yeah because i i've had that at my work life there there are some colleagues that i really don't like <laughs> and objectively really don't like and yeah. don't like them because they're really strange or downright weird or yeah. complicated or all yeah. at the same time and still i find myself open enough to hear something from them and it hits me and I receive it like this was a message directed to you and mm -hmm. only you. Yeah. and that's like oh my god not again <laughs> why 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 do I have to take and it's like don't don't shoot the messenger <laughs> don't shoot it's, the messenger. yeah it's like okay yeah probably he has a point yeah yeah <laughs> I think that listening is also just, it's hard. And I think for me, it's similar to meditation or, or mindfulness because you keep having to get back. Like you have a lot of stuff going on internally, usually, especially if you're someone that thinks a lot and has a lot to say as well. Like a lot of thoughts can bubble up. This is why I think, no offense to Jordan, but I don't think he's very good at interviewing people because he's so extroverted and he's so full of ideas that he can't let people talk for too long before yeah. Yeah. he's always overflowing with ideas and concepts and he yeah. has to get it out it's intense he can be very intense yeah that's why he's the speaker you know i think i think it makes sense for him um but it's funny to see him do the the interviews now because i just feel like it's really not him to be in that more passive role mm -hmm. like he's really a dragon on the stage you know and um but that, isn't that interesting because, I mean, he comes from a profession that by definition is supposed to only listen. <laughs> it's actually, I'm just imagining Jordan right now being like, 
his patience and not shutting <laughs> shutting up. Maybe he's just sitting there and saying, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, serious. I, yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's like, okay, thanks for talking. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I would love to just have, have sat in on those sessions, you know. Like I'd yeah. be very yeah. yeah. The whole phenomenon is very interesting of, of just Peterson and, and how it how it rose to such levels. It's it's really insane to me. Yeah, I still haven't realized a lot of it because I I'm not really I never participated in his like political style stuff. Yeah. Not Article 16C or whatever that was, mm-hmm. or his Twitter stuff. I'm not on Twitter. I, I I've never been on social media except for Facebook for some time. Good for you. I've been like offline from Facebook for the last eight years, I think it must have been, or even longer. Well. Um and I'm I'm keeping that viciously out of my family. Good. So whenever our, my my son he's ten he has his first smartphone now which is really just basic stuff and we control everything that he's doing. On yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And I said you can do a lot of stuff and even you're allowed to do YouTube, but don't you dare to think about any social media. I'm going to throw that out the window. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, in some ways, I wish my parents had done that for me as well. But um. Like as a person, and even as a kid, I, I hated to be passed around, hated to be, you know, told what not to do. I feel similarly about like school uniforms, you know, like I would hate to be in a school uniform if I was a kid, but I really understand. You That's know? so interesting. Yeah. You, know, you see, I've, I, as I've been, I, I lived three years in South Africa. Mm-hmm. We went there to, to the German school, but um, it was part of the South African school system. And so uh, school uniform was mandatory. Mm. and i went to primary school in germany and then i got to the fifth grade in south africa and stayed there till seventh eighth grade and so i had three years of school uniform and then i got back to germany which was completely no school uniform and at that moment i came back i realized how valuable school uniforms can be yeah because back then what they actually created is we we poked fun at the school uniforms of others it was uh, on the flag tribal connection experience <laughs> we had at that school. It was like, ah, uh, we have the greatest school uniform. It was like, it wasn't like, ah, uh, that's so bad that we have to wear this. We were proud of it actually. Yeah. And um, part of it was also that you didn't have to think about what you were going to wear the next day. Mm. And so you, you actually saw only the the last two grades like grade 12 and 13 were allowed to wear what they wanted Mm. so it was created to be something special yeah yeah you've gotten your accolades you achieved something now you can freely choose what you want to wear yeah it makes sense to me that was really really good that was a great experience so when we came back to germany everyone was like ah you have to wear these shoes and those pants and those trousers and those jackets and even the backpacks were like okay if you don't have that that a certain one it's like you're you're not part yeah it's like i was like why don't we just get a school uniform here i think that would be beneficial to everyone yeah yeah again it really makes sense to me i i really noticed that when i started working in a in a place where we all had the same uniform and i just realized how much that that helped us that helped like us to move as a unit let's say um so yeah i completely agree okay going back um to to the festival Yet Andreas' talk with Paul. I'm very curious about my brother's talk. I haven't been able to watch or Absolutely listen. Absolutely phenomenal. 
Tell me about it. I'm very curious. Um, he, I mean, Aaron is absolutely, he, he is very proficient. Mm -hmm. He's extremely smart. Uh, he has a very kind, charismatic personality. Mm. Um, totally non-offensive. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, very witty and smart. Yeah. And so this combination already opened up the audience to listen to whatever he was going to say. Didn't matter. He could have said anything. We would have listened. <laughs> It's like he really has a talent for that. And so then he starts uh, telling the story of Nietzsche, supposedly the anti-Christian atheist Nietzsche. And he says, well, let's put a few cracks into that story. And I mean, Paul Van der Klee, if you looked at him and looked at his reaction, he was like, whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> he really was like there. He did not expect that talk. He, he drew in all the information and said, this was the most amazing talk about Nietzsche he's ever heard. Oh, that's so that, really says, special. that says a lot about uh, that. And I have to re-listen to that one as well, because it was such an intense experience for me that uh, at the Q&A at the end, there were several giving answers and questions and then i had the, the possibility to ask the question and by, by then i basically just said you know what i'll have to do a reaction video on this <laughs> just too much for now. that's excellent <laughs> yeah oh, i'm really happy to hear that i'm very uh i'm very pleased that he did well he's been uh, working on it for a long time he's been in like nietzsche nietzsche's head for so long you know it's really uh It's really inspiring to see, and it's funny because I think he's he's becoming more and more relevant. Nietzsche as a, as a thought, um, yeah, or I don't know, a thought leader, but his thoughts are really taking hold, and people are really battling with them right now. And I'm happy that my my brother was gripped by them then, because now he gets to be sort of like a figurehead for that. So that's uh, that's yeah, super and, awesome. And I could I could relate to a lot of Nietzsche because I mean Nietzsche himself said that's where Goethe comes in. Mm -hmm. Nietzsche himself said Goethe was the only was the only Übermensch to ever have lived, which is fascinating. So it 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 already seems interesting to just look at that connection between yeah. Nietzsche and Goethe. Why did Nietzsche think that of Goethe? Um, Do you know why? That would mean also a very long answer. And actually, I'm I'm in preparation for that. I've, okay. I've been writing on a script for a podcast about Goethe's Italian journey for like two years now. Amazing. Because I'm interested in the intersection between his um, art and writing and the society that he lived in and the philosophy that he uh, uh, participated in. I mean, he was an adamant follower of Rousseau. Mm -hmm. But with every thinker and author, he was like, I read that. Now I've made it my own story. So I have this Goethean Nietzscheanism and this Goethean uh, Spinozism and this Goethean uh, Rousseauism that incorporates something from them, but is unique in its own way. Mm -hmm. And he did that to everything that he touched and got in contact with. Well. So that's that's really interesting. Um, and the other interesting thing is that he was open to everything. Yeah. And he was a very, he predates Darwin in some sense. He was like, everything is evolution. Everything is change. Everything is transformation. And he lived that to, to the end of his life. Hmm. Um, and so 
there's a lot of things going on in Goethe, too many to mention. And I mean, there are fantastic authors and, and researchers who've done like 200 years of research on him now. If you look at Friedenthal or Nicholas Boyle or Rudiger Zafransky and all the names that have written biographies of him, just, just those few biographies, they have like three and a half thousand pages. <laughs> and I've just read the newest biography, which is from Jeremy Artland. That's still unique and new in its approach and in what it mentions. Like, okay, you just n never reach the depth of of need of, of Goethe. Oh. Never. It's impossible. And he's 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 basically the first modern figure because he carefully curates his own profile. Mm. And he does a lot of auto da fe. He destroys a lot of his own writings, even the letters that he wrote or that were written to him. And so what we have today is only that which he allowed to remain. Yeah. Which is very, very modern in its thing. It's like, okay, yeah. the dirt only, you know, you know, curate your profile the best perfect way. Of course. And then show it to the public. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's really a lot of it in 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 Goethe, uh, and what I mean, Goethe's Faust is the piece of art that basically shows Western Europe at the dawn of modernity, mm. and Goethe saw all the developments of modernity back then already. And he wrote them into the the play Faust, especially not so much the first half, but the second part, which is not read at all. That's a very sad thing. Um, but if you read it carefully and you will find like, wow, this is this is just basically modern man. This is how it plays out. That was visionary stuff that Goethe. Mm. Yeah, I've seen people I really respect, um, who really respect Goethe. I've read a bit of him because we had to for a German class. <laughs> that was really... Uh... That was the first time I kind of enjoyed German class. So that, that says a lot for sure. So what did you read? We read a bit of Faust. Okay. And uh, we had like a test about it and stuff. So that was really cool. Um, but now that I'm like years and years ahead, I think I uh, I have to redo it, all of it. I actually started his, um, whatchamacallit, Farb Farbenlehre. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a fascinating part of his as well. Yeah. What is that? I don't understand it at all. So it's like, um, it's about colors, right? Yeah. What was uh, it? What What was he attempting there? I'm trying to understand because I started and he I... Was, he was trying to debunk Newton mm -hmm. for his scientism and for the loss of a phenomenolo phenomenological experience of colors. Ah, okay. So as it turns out, and this is where Jeremy Adler gets into in detail, actually, is that science has actually approved Goethe's approach because colors are, of course, part of our observation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a phenomenological experience. And so it's not just whether it's like this kind of frequency of a wavelength. that Yes, yes, color. yes. Like that's, we're actually connecting to reality. Exactly. So that's yes. just the part that Goethe saw that Newton, that Newton not Nietzsche, Newton totally <laughs> left out. Yeah. He did a lot of experiments on that. And like for hundreds of years, they said, no, nah, Goethe was wrong. He's been debunked. But actually, as today's research turns out, no, he was right. He was absolutely right about what he wrote there. Yeah, that's epic. And it has some some really big um, consequences, I think, for understanding our reality. Because 
if it is actually real what we are connecting to, that, that, that means a lot, I think. If it's true on that scale, it's probably true on, on other skills as well. So for me, it informs my worldview a lot. And it's always a good sign when a thinker is proven right centuries later, I think. <laughs> it's, uh, that's really cool. I, I really want to like... I think we can do whole episodes about guides, to be honest, but I'm not. You definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not read on them yet, so I think I should. I should save that a bit more. Um, and and I I have to be honest that even though I've been working on that for two years now, I've still just barely scratched the surface. Yeah. It's like okay, now I know what the landscape looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that map is just so huge. I will I will not be able to get through it by the end of my life. That's good. Which is which is fantastic because I initially got into that project. I was thinking, what is it that I can offer as a unique perspective or you know, topic to the to this little corner of the internet? And so I'm a German, I have a background in German literature and language. I studied that at university as a minor. Um, and I've ever been it's it's so interesting because it aligns perfectly. Um, from my youth on, I've been fascinated with Goethe, and I only realized that doing my research. Yeah, I looked back and I saw that wow! In grade nine, we were reading like Götz von Berlichingen, and then I was reading his Werther and his Iphigenia and his Faust, and I learned these and these poems, and I can recite them to this day. And well, this is interesting. So I've had a history with Goethe already for like twenty years yeah. without really noticing it. It was just like part of German school. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get into that research and say, wow, there's a lot more than more depth in that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe I'll look into Goethe and try to work something. And by now that's my working hypothesis. I think Goethe creates the secret sacred self that Paul van der Klee talks about mm. during his journey to Italy. Mm. That's basically the watershed moment where this comes to this this manifests itself in a very very specific way and he basically becomes the first modern man that is absolutely about personality identity transformation of identity having a fluid identity mm. that is open to change according to what it experiences and observes and i think that happened to goethe in italy during his one a bit more than one year wow. and i'm still trying to find out why that was and where that was and how it occurred and i have some intuitions about that and i've read and written about that by now as well but it's just preliminary work i i, I could do a whole phd on that and i've done a phd in the past and i know i'm not going to do it again so <laughs> This will remain preliminary, but I, I want to get it out sometime. Actually, I, I had a plan to do it by the end of the year. I hope I, I'll have the first episodes out then. Good. Uh, and just see uh, whether someone's interested and wants to talk about that. Because there's a lot in there that I think is valuable and interesting to this corner. Yeah. And I've I've, I've seen your, uh, your channel. I'll link it down below for those interested. I know you've uploaded already some other stuff. Yeah, that was that was completely different stuff but yes <laughs> yeah, yeah but but just just so people know they can subscribe and then once it's out <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll be there for it all right so you had that and then you had some estuaries i guess on on sunday as well um i actually led one of the estuary groups oh ah, yeah Aaron was in that estuary as well 
um and i just thought it was fantastic mm. um this method of hosting conversations really does a great job at getting people together being honest and open um not having like a preformed position already yeah it's not getting into a battle it's not purely propositional although mm -hmm. it is a lot of thinky talky of course <laughs> that's what happens when you get intellectually open-minded people together yeah, that's what we are in the corner that's, that's what we are right and still it got very personal and mm. um i've i've greatly benefited from that experience um i'm thinking about how to transport it into my own community mm. and um there's this one deacon here. He's he's the head of the Protestant Church, and he's also head of the of a newly formed working group. They just formed in October. Newly formed working group of all Christian denominations in our town. Um, and they've they've finalized an, an initial statement of agreement. Um, and I want to get in contact with them and actually propose why not try out the estuary concept. Cool. for this working group and for all the churches that are in, in town yeah. because i think we have to realize that to say it bluntly the enemy does not lie in our own camp no <laughs> it's the outer world and if you look at the at the protests in dusseldorf with seventeen thousand and in berlin with eight thousand and people uh chanting uh make a caliphate on german ground and that kind of stuff this can get really intense. Mm. So we need to we need to do some base work in sense making. Mm. It doesn't mean that it has to be Christian, but mm -hmm. since there are many Christian communities and, and, and churches still around here, why not use it to the benefit? Mm. And especially to those that are church adjacent but not church members or church going. Yeah. Because I feel that in all the churches that I've been, they have not really done a good job at working for the people that are in church, mm. but working for the people outside the church or interested in church, they've been total failures yeah. for the last 30, 40 years. And I think that's detrimental. I think we should do something about that. And I hope that the estuary concept, you know, find some ground here to open up the conversation space and just realize we all have the same questions. We all have the same fears. We all have the same suffering and create a new common ground from which on we can actually start to think and talk and create narratives and ideas. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of a missionary statement there that I'm making. I'm, I'm realizing that. But I've always thought that you you have to put you know some some beef to it. It it doesn't help staying in the intellectual sphere. Yeah. In the end, and that's what I said in that essay as well is, in the end is you have to have ideas that go through relationships and manifest themselves in practice. Beautiful. Yeah. If that doesn't play out, you haven't done the job. That's that's failure, and mm -hmm. I don't want to fail. So I'm really interested and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, what Matthias is doing and what others are doing with the estuary concept. But I'm really, the, the longer it takes, the longer I think I have to try to do something on the ground level here and incorporate that not just for myself, but for others.
Yeah, that's beautiful. I I really took the the message home. I didn't go to Germany, but I had some time with with Paul and some others. And I really took the message home of practice, really practice what you preach and apply it in your own community because that that's what we have to do. We cannot just be this this internet community um atomically <laughs> connecting through the digital network. I think that um I also find so much more meaning by just approaching all sorts of people, not just the intellectual, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, that doesn't mean we can't have these gatherings. It doesn't mean that this is not a good thing. It just, it cannot be the center. It, it can be a part of our, our, the, the forming of our thoughts and our, and our practices, let's say, but then we actually have to implement. And to me, that's the most exciting part that that's what I live for every day. So I'm excited to see it develop more and more. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. I have to I mean, meet people. Part like of you. it is like when we talk about it and it goes public. That's for me actually intentionally. I do that on purpose because it puts me under a judge. Yeah, exactly. And so if I wouldn't have written into the German language said I'm planning a podcast about Goethe, I wouldn't have written any page to this day. Yeah, but it's like this. It has been this nagging thought in the back of my head that I promised back then that I'd do something, and I've, you know, pursued that. I'm not finished yet, but I have to reach the goal mm -hmm. because I said something in public. Yeah, and so that makes me, you know, responsible for actually. Yeah, not accountable. Yeah, it's beautiful. I um, I'm really happy to have. A bit of an introduction to you i think it's very important to have that in general before i get to speak to people more deeply and what they're most interested in i'm really happy about the the good connection because i'm just happy that there's someone who really spent time on on him and like you say like you can really only scratch the surface in a lifetime you know so that's yeah. extremely exciting um i want to say that i really even though you say you find it hard to listen, I think you're really good in, this, in the conversation. And um, thank you. Saying thank the right you. things and listening well, really, I really appreciate I it. I have to give that back to you. And I've, I've, so I've, I've rarely seen a video by someone I don't know and immediately uh, added the channel. And mm. with you and Aaron having that conversation just a few weeks ago where I made my comments, mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really so appreciate that. I think that. you two are really doing a fantastic job, and it's 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 absolutely wonderful having conversations with you. Mm -hmm. And this is part of what I think I realized as well. Is on the one hand, I want to do, I want to put things into practice where I live in my own community, but at the same uh, time, I'm always very very thankful for the internet and the possibilities that it it has created. Yeah. It's it's really been a sort of intellectual homing for me mm. coming into this little corner and having those conversations both in the estuary and, and then with individuals as well. It's like, wow, there are people that don't necessarily think like me, but they have the same stance towards life and yeah. questions. And so we can be like the fellowship of the ring. <laughs> Let's see where this goes. Maybe there's some dragon we can slay. Oh, yes. And this has, awesome. this has been so healing and redemptive for me mm. yeah, that I wouldn't want to miss that. So I think it needs both. We need to have those international 
online spaces that can create those connections. Yeah. But that's where my Christian faith comes in. We are meant to be on this planet for something else than ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So God calls us forward into the community we live in, and he lays out something for us. Everyone has this purpose. And by now I have some intimations of that purpose and mm. I know God is working on it. And actually I've found my peace because I, I at a point in my life when I was doing my PhD, uh, we were building our home. We had our first child. I was like 180% full-time work and still doing in my free time way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always like, God, what are you trying to do? do with me what's the goal in my life what should i do what should i do and at one point he said no 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 no. it doesn't work that way you just don't do anything just just stay put stay yeah. silent yeah and i was like no that that can't be it and i had severe health issues that really you know hit me and then i realized okay maybe he's right about that and by now i know for myself that he's saying you're purpose and task in life is work in progress Mm. it's not done yet Mm. and don't you worry about the goal at the end because the goal is already that you are in a in you you hold yourself accountable to every step of that way Mm. and maybe it's good that you don't know where it will finally lead to because otherwise you might you know stray <laughs> from that path <laughs> maybe just keep just keep focused yeah that's that's where peterson actually comes back in it's like all right clean up your room do the thing directly yeah. in front of you do what's from, possible now from that some things will flow and develop that you couldn't imagine and did not expect and suddenly you realize oh maybe this is what god was up to with me all the time <laughs> And for the time being, that works out. And then at one point, he basically says, no, nah, that wasn't it. But it's on the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I have greatly enjoyed piercing into not only your mind, but your relationship to God. And that's a really, really interesting one. I really must say that um, I see how alive it is. And <laughs> the wrestling is real. <laughs> I always feel that it's 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 close to dead, but it doesn't doesn't seem to be the case. No, I don't think so. That makes me hopeful. Yeah, I don't think it ever will. I'm gonna have Stefan back on for sure. I we've been meaning to do one with also Aaron involved. I think yeah. that will be really fun. I'm gonna see what you two uh, can work out together. So we'll get that uh, set up. Looking and, forward to that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for 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 coming in today. Uh, thanks for listening, having me listening to my story absolutely we'll put the channel uh channel down below shall i put like charlie brown in the title or are you okay with your normal name what is what is the um yeah you could do like charlie brown uh stefan in in yeah perfect because that's that's name i go by on the discord server basically amazing yeah then people will be able to recognize yeah awesome thank you so much for your time today and we'll see you back soon wonderful thanks sir